to episode five, our mid-season finale of the first series of the Lowest of the Lowest podcast. This is taking roughly uh, 385,000 attempts for me and Aaron to both be free at the same time. So finally, uh, we are recording this episode and uh, we're going to talk about the um, European Super League today. And I'm going to let Aaron introduce himself now because he's actually a big fan of the European Super League, aren't you, Aaron? Well, only in the fact that we managed to go the entire Europa Super, uh, European Super League season unbeaten, which is uh, something that's not happened since 2004. You know, played zero, won zero, drawn zero, lost zero, goal difference zero, and point zero. So finishing second in the league behind only Atletico Madrid is quite a big achievement for Arsenal, I think, given the standard. Well, and, and if they use the full names, you are top because it'd be club. Atletico de Madrid. Oh, so, well, just, just, just give us the title now, then. I mean, I, I think this is good to sign up. <laughs> but no, oh, well, so, yeah. I just want to clarify. I was lying. I know you're you're, you're not a fan. <laughs> just before you get any hate directed towards you. Oh no, massive fan of it. Um, in the f- massive fan of the fact that it's now been scrapped and cancelled and lasted less than three days, which is uh, about as long as Spurs's Premier League title. Uh, challenges lasted over Christmas. Um, yeah, what a week we've had a we've had a bit of time now. I think to digest. Um, well, can we call it anything other than the fallout from it? I mean, what a what a catastrophe, and what I just I don't understand. This just all sort of blew up, and I think the fact that it's not even the end of the season yet makes it ten times worse. Um, and really, we've just seen what modern day football is: greed. Yeah. I think when I first heard the news about this, you keep layering up the sort of context behind how this came about, the sort of proposals uh, they were they were gunning for this new Super League, and every sort of time I th- I thought of a new aspect around this sort of venture, I got more and more irritated by it. Like the timing of this in a pandemic, you know, you know, towards the end of a season when three of the four teams. This is what really gets my goat, and I, I, we're recording this now as. Two of the teams involved in this are playing out a Champions League semi-final first leg, and the idea that you know what what is the point of that game anymore? Like I'm watching it sort of play out now, and I'm thinking, I, how can they take part in this competition with any semblance of seriousness now? Because they've they've been plotting to destroy this competition among others for the last three years, and now we're expected to take their, um, you know their attempt at winning the Champions League trophy seriously. I mean, and that's just one of the aspects. I mean, I could, I'm sure we'll go through most of them, if not all of them, during this conversation. But that's one thing <laughs> that's starting to irritate me. I mean, it's been, what, just over a week now, at the time of recording, uh, since we first heard the announcement of this. And, and we're starting to see it sort of fade a bit back in, in, in the news cycles of it. And I'm just, I'm just sort of, every time I see these teams playing, I think... How can anyone take this seriously anymore? Because they've sort of <laughs> said that they're not really bothered about competing in these competitions. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's different. You obviously are a fan of one of these greedy 12 clubs. Um, so maybe you have a different perspective than me. I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's quite ironic, really, that it's, it's taken something like this to unite the whole of football. We've had that whole... You know, the racism campaign going on and taking a knee for a while, but this was the thing that united everyone in football. It was just, it shows how powerful it was to, you know, the, the negative swathe of reaction to against it. And I just cannot understand for the life of me how they thought that they were going to get this through. And the fact that they didn't even consult the fans, you know, it was all about money. It was. It's t- completely tone deaf as well. I mean, for them to come out and try and justify it to say that we lost money in a pandemic, people have lost lives, people have lost jobs, and they're coming out and trying to claim more money. Come on, do me a favour. I mean, like, I mean, the Champions League semi-finals are obviously going ahead, so there was no sort of res- retrospective action taken on that. Um, whether or not there will be further down the line, I don't know, and I think we'll come on to to what we think the punishment should be slightly later on, but. I mean, like you say, it just sort of nullifies the whole competition. What is the point now? Because the UEFA have obviously announced the reform, and again, we'll come on to this later. It, it just it demeans the, the competition. And for me, 
it didn't really matter who you were playing in the Champions League. Arsenal have not been in the Champions League for what feels like an absolute age now. I mean, I think Leicester have been in it more recently than... Well, we were in it 2016-17. I personally can't remember when Arsenal were last in it. Was it not the same season? Yeah, we finished second, so we were in it that, that same season. Yeah, year, same and I think that might be the last... I think, I think last we went a bit time. further than you did. Um, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> I, think what, I think what makes it worse is... The English clubs are not hard of cash. Um, I can see, I mean, I don't want to try and sympathise with any of them because I think it's just disgusting what they've done to not only English football, but to world football. I think I can understand it a bit more from the Spanish club's perspective with the debt you know, that Real Madrid are in and they've obviously incurred the cost of a new stadium and all those things. But that's no excuse to, to do this. And obviously, I think as... The news has come out. It's obviously that Perez, Florentino Perez, who's been a driving force behind it. And to me, he just sounds delusional. He sounds like a deluded old man, to be honest. The things he's come out with in the news to say that it's going to happen, it's definitely going to happen. And do you know what? I was laughing. I was genuinely laughing at them as it collapsed around them. And I was... <laughs> when, they, when it came out of the news and I saw that Arsenal put a statement out on there. Twitter page, I was genuinely disgusted, and I don't often say that about Arsenal. We buy bad, we both bought some bad players, we've played some bad football, and we've done things the wrong way in the past. But this was, it was something else, and it was genuinely upsetting. And I did tweet about this, and I don't have a massive amount of followers on there, but it was quite ironic. I found that they were tweeting David Rowcastle's quote about being true to yourself and always remembering who you are. And then they'd just done that. I mean, the fact, if they'd consulted the fans and then they'd come to a consensus that's saying, oh, well, this is what we want and whatever else, which, by the way, I don't think would ever have happened, no matter which way they sold it to them. You know, and it was all about making money and (laughs) no one bought it. No one bought it. Everyone saw through the lies. Everyone saw through the deceit. And to go behind the backs of those other 14 Premier League clubs as well, and sell it, oh my God, so sell them down the river. Not only those 14 Premier League clubs, but the other, however many there are in the football pyramid in the top leagues, and then you're looking below that as well, which all directly affected. I mean, we're talking about English clubs here, but effectively they were they were killing the game. And, you know, everyone should, as much as I love Arsenal as a, as a football club and I don't hold the players responsible to, I don't hold the staff or the management, they're good people in that club. Um, that work there, but the owners have tarnished that the club's reputation. And obviously, there's been stuff in the news this week about the Spotify um, co-founder trying to buy, or considering not trying to bid for the club. But honestly, at the moment, something has to something has to change. There's, there's got to be some sort of, you know, you can't let these people get away with it. They've literally not only destroyed the reputation of a club, but they're destroying. English football, they're destroying football as we know it. And I just can't, I can't see this ending well for, for any of them. And it, it has to be stamped out. It has to be stopped. This cannot be allowed to happen again. I think as well, to be honest, we talked, I mean, you briefly mentioned, I know you weren't buying into the excuses at all, but sort of the, the crap they came out with once, what, 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 what had happened is they'd been effectively caught with their pants down. You know, when they rode back and, and the Super League collapsed, it wasn't because, you know, any of these owners or whoever made these decisions at these clubs had a, a sudden epiphany and change of heart. They were absolutely beaten back by an exceptionally angry uh, football fan base. Um, it was it was nothing to do with their sort of good their good hearts or good intentions. Like I say, they're doubling down on, on the excuses. You know they've lost money. I mean, again, I don't want to sing about Arsenal or any particular club. I think they're all as bad as each other in many respects. Uh, for what they've done here, and but Arsenal let several people go uh, at the start of the pandemic, if I remember correctly. Uh, I mean, I mean, what kind of these are choices that they're making? They can't then moan about money, you know. They're hurting people, and they were prepared to hurt more people. Um, and I think this is the thing that really gets me is, like you say, as much as I wish it wasn't the case, English football, given how large we've let these six clubs grow financially. And that's a failure of football governance, but we have let these six clubs grow far bigger than they should be uh, in terms of their financial clout. We need them in the football pyramid. The fact that they were 
pound to up sticks for their own, to save their own skin. They knew that an act like that. I know they weren't going to leave the Premier League, but they realised it's going to make it a second-rate competition. They they knew that the impact this would have, um, and the fact that they were willing to do that to save their own skin. What about other football clubs? Think about my football club, Leicester, who've just invested in a brand new state-of-the-art training facility. That will basically go to waste. Everton preparing to build a new stadium. That's going to go to waste. And I just think, again, in a pandemic as well, in a pandemic as well, trying to take the football tradition we've had in this country for, what, 130 years nearly, (laughs) and trying to take it away. During a pandemic when football fans have not been able to see their teams play for the large part for over a year, and they thought this would be a really good time now to launch, and I'm not going to describe it any other way. It was a coup on football. It wasn't this. Oh well, it's it's better for our finances. It's where the modern games are. No, it wasn't. This is someone who thought, oh, there's some money available over here. Let's ring fence that for this. And <laughs> and I think what really irritates me the most is the fact that these twelve clubs are self-appointed. Who who decided these were the 12 clubs? This big six nonsense we have in this country, it's not always been the big six. When I was growing up, Man City and Tottenham were nobodies. Man C- I remember Man City being promoted to the Premier League with Sean Gota and Paul Dickoff. They were, they were nobodies. And then Atletico Madrid, until very recently, were just a decent team in Spain. Paris Saint-Germain, until they got bankrolled, were just a decent team from France. Tottenham, I mean, God knows how, I mean, I have to say, whoever managed to get Tottenham involved in these plans deserves an award for negotiation because they pulled a blinder there. I have no idea how also Ran Hotspur have managed to wrangle their way into this group. Uh, but it's just decided they were, they wanted to ring fence, say, ah, we're stopping it now. We're we're deciding we are the self-appointed elite. No, that can never change. But that again, it's not always been the case. It's not these six clubs don't have a divine right to be the six. And the job, I'm about to say they don't have a divine right to be the six best clubs. They're not even the six best clubs. Arsenal have been awful this season. Again, sorry to rub it in, but you have. Tottenham have been awful this season. What make, what gives them the right to decide that, other than the fact they've got money and they are selfish? And it, it's just absolutely appalling. I, the more I think about it, I just find it... I mean, the reaction they got is a reaction they deserved, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the, the sort of backlash. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I just... Uh, I know, obviously, you were talking about PSG there, but I just wanted to clarify before we get done for slandering their club. Obviously, they weren't one of the ones that that came into this and that was actually quite amazing to be honest because you know we were looking at these were clubs with a lot of money and they turned down the invitation and then you look at the clubs like Bayern Munich and you look at Dortmund those clubs yeah sorry I got I got carried away there I forgot PSG weren't involved (laughs) apologies to PSG yeah sorry about that Champions League (laughs) yeah but I mean the likes of Porto turned it down and you know I always think that you can't buy class and there is no class in, in what they did. And it's, it's a, it's a shame it got to that point. It's a shame that it it took those fans outside of Stamford bridge protesting it. It's a shame that it took the fans outside of Old Trafford and, and uh, Anfield doing it. And also at the Emirates, which I think probably was, you know, it gave them a perfect opportunity to come out and protest against Cronky. And I obviously can't say, I obviously supported the reason of the protest, but we were discussing protests a couple of weeks ago and we discussed the um, the Sarah Everard stuff. So obviously I wouldn't say going out to protest in the middle of a pandemic is the best idea. But these people felt so strongly about it that, you know, they were prepared to, to go out there and risk it to to get these people out of the club and get them out of English football. And I think what Gary Neville said was, was um, really quite poignant and... I know, obviously, we'll probably come on to discussing Sky and BT and all those ones who... I was shocked to see them taking the moral high ground when they've hiked up prices and charging people ridiculous amounts of money just to be able to watch their team. But I think what Gary Neville said was quite poignant. And he said about um, the owners and sort of... They've, you know, I know he's not a big fan of the Glazers at, at Manchester United, but 
I think it's really hard now for for the fans to, to forget it. I don't think you can forget it. I don't think they should be forgiven, I think, which is what he said. Um, and I just wonder, like, it's just, it's just a shame, really, because I think people like Stan Kroenke don't care about how they're seen in English football. And I honestly wish that he would just do the honourable thing and sell up and they would pay him the money and whatever it wherever it was and he would just take that money and get out of the club and get out of this country and just never come back into English football again. And that's not some right-wing opinion. That's just genuinely for the love of football, just trying to get, get a club back and get honesty and decency. And I'd have to say, when I was growing up and obviously I've... I've been an Arsenal fan now for, I don't know, however long it is. And we always had that, when, when I've been to the stadium, there was always that class and there was always that integrity about the, the, the club. And I think Arsene Wenger obviously got quite a torrent of abuse towards the end of his time there. But when he left, he said, um, look after the club. Um, and he talked about morals and standards at the club. And I just think, how far have we fallen? to have allowed it to get to this point. And I know obviously owners do what they want. At the end of the day, they, they own the club. They make the decisions off the pitch. Well, they make, probably make them on the pitch as well at the moment. But for me, to see players of their own clubs turning on them and almost, well, I, I, I know it was called Football Civil War, but it was in, in, a, in a war within clubs. I think Jordan Henderson was a great example of, of that. And I thought James Miller made a brilliant speech or interview after after the Leeds game and came out and spoke against it. But I just think it's obviously important that people don't hold the players responsible for this. This was something a lot higher. Um, and again, there was a lot, there's a lot of territorial hatred in, in football. And I really do think it united the footballing world, really. And it's just a shame that my club is one of the ones that felt it was necessary to do this. But what really pissed me off about the whole thing and this is not an excuse again for Arsenal but I think out of all of the clubs that came out and sort of apologised and made a statement about it Dave Thayer's probably was the best written one doesn't mean anything really in the context of things but for Liverpool to come out and I think it was 25 words or 18 words or something like that just to say we thought it was a good idea it wasn't and that was it no apology no nothing they don't care about the fans they, they don't care like they just they want to make the money and that's honestly why I think you should just set up. I mean, there was rumours of a line going around that came from Josh Kroenke um, about Arsenal. And he said that he, his family didn't buy Arsenal to win trophies. What does that tell you? You don't buy a football club to not win trophies. What's the point of playing? And that's exactly what this European Super League was about. No relegation. Well, I'm, it's just ridiculous. Like, Why are you playing in the league where you can't get relegated? What's the point? You can finish, I don't know, how many seven teams there would have been in there, 18 teams in it, and it doesn't matter where you finish, you still make money. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, come on. Really? I mean, everyone's dream as a football fan, in the Premier League particularly, is to finish in those top four spots, unless you're Everton, obviously, and Liverpool win the Champions League, and then you don't get into the Champions League. And that was the dream. It was never the big six at the original. It was the top four. That was it. It was that top four teams... And I'd like you say, Chris, and I'll come back to it again. Those teams that are the big six, Arsenal, I don't know where we get off thinking we're top. We're not even, we're, but you know, we're about as good as Burnley at the moment. Tottenham, really? I mean, what right did Tottenham have to be in that big six? What have they won? They've not won a trophy since 2008. That was a League Cup. They've never won the league. Leicester had more right to be in there than them. Blackburn Rovers had more right to be in there than them. I mean, come on. Where do these people get off? Seriously. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And <laughs> like you say, I think it must have been Daniel Levy who was uh, negotiating Spurs into that. But give that man a knighthood for, for his work doing that. I mean, how he's managed to swing that, I have no idea. I really don't. But I just feel sorry for, for the other fans, for the other clubs. And, you know, the fallout has been felt. The, and United, the football world, and for it to take something like this, it's, it just shows how momentous it is. And this is not going away. If they try it once, I mean, I don't know whether the English clubs will again because of the backlash here, but I cannot. If Perez stays on at um, Real Madrid, 
and Barcelona follow a similar sort of strategy. I, I can see them trying it again, to be honest. I don't know how far it would get, but who knows? I absolutely agree. I, I'm, I mean, I'm certain it's going to happen again. Um, I don't think, like, I think a, a point about this that's gone so unnoticed, and I did mention it earlier, but I do I just want to drive this home. You know, it's being reported that they've been planning this for up to three years. So this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a, you know, just sort of a off-the-cuff sort of thing. Oh, should we just get together and make a, a, a Super League? You know, this has been a contrived plan. Using the pandemic as a, as a smoke shield, can I point out, because, I'm sorry, unless they're all really clairvoyant, they, they didn't predict the coronavirus pandemic back in 2017, 2018. So they, they're using that as a smoke shield. Um, you know, this this sort of uh, land grab for all the money in football was uh, well in the works before coronavirus hit. Um, and, yeah, I think they'll try again because... You know, I don't think the greed dissipates just because I've had a bit of a backlash. What they'll see this as, I'm sure, is a PR nightmare rather than a, a, a you know, time to reflect on their moral uh, values. But, you know, the, the the main reason why I think this is going to happen again is because the fact it happened in the first place. And that makes me think these people either knew exactly how people like you would feel about their clubs doing this and didn't care, or they are so completely out of touch with everybody that their club represents that they didn't see this coming and therefore there's nothing to stop them doing it again. And I don't know which is worse, to be honest with you. I mean, either they are completely idiotic or they're complete bastards. And I don't know what's what. I'll say I'm sure it will happen again. The question is, I think now, is how do we stop it from happening again and how do we punish the people who, who plotted to destroy football? Yeah, and I think what I found most insulting is the fact that they turned around and said, oh, well, we didn't consult the fans and we should have, blah, blah, blah. But that's a load of crap as well, because they started talking about legacy fans and the new model of fans and who they were going to target with this league. And then they had that Perez coming out and saying that young football fans would get bored before 90 minutes. That's absolute tosh. It's absolute tosh. They went to play for the JP Morgan Trophy where they couldn't get relegated every single year. JP Morgan Trophy honestly sounds like the test series that England would play against Pakistan or something like that. Keep it there. That's different. That's a sponsored test series or something like that. This is not. This is football. We go in away from being the Barclays Premier League and fair enough for that. And They lost the sponsorship and whatever else. The Premier League... Is, was obviously, I know it's a breakaway league, but it had the approval of the FA and it had the approval of the Football League and all those sort of things. This was just, as you described it, it's a coup. That's all it and, was. And it's worth pointing out, I've known people are, are trying to compare the, the Super League with the Premier League. And look, I'm not, I, I can't even pretend I've, I've got vast knowledge on the subject. Obviously, this happened before we were both born. But, you know, the Premier League, like you say, was founded by the FA. It stayed within the football pyramid. Plenty of clubs have experienced it, gone up and gone down between the divisions. And importantly, these clubs didn't get together and say, oh, we're going to be the only ones invited. They still have to earn their places in this league and they still have to earn their places in that league. Um, so, um, yeah, there are valid criticisms for this, but I just wanted to like reiterate these and this sort of facetious argument about it being a similar thing. It's not a similar thing. It's, it's, it's different entirely. Yeah, it's just the whole no relegation thing and the fact that they were going to have 15 teams each year and then they were going to have a qualifying criteria that only five clubs could come in. What about teams like Ajax, who've won the Champions League however many times? I mean, I don't know where they get off. I honestly don't. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, rightfully they've been condemned and shame on them, I think. So I'm interested now, but we've got to get into the, the sort of the meat of this. What happens now for these teams? What happens to these clubs? Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about punishment. There's been talk about uh, forcing the uh, owners and the people behind this to resign. Uh, there's been talk of fines. There's been talk of European bans, points deductions, transfer embargoes. And there's obviously been talk of nothing happening. I mean, I've seen... Um, I mean, I don't share this view. I've seen uh, there's been reports that uh, people in UEFA are saying that the, the six English clubs are going to face lesser sanctions because they withdrew first. I don't really think it makes much of a difference, to be honest with you, but they still took part in it. They only withdrew first because their fans had the most vociferous reaction to it. It was nothing to do with 
you know, any sort of, like I said earlier, change of heart on their part. It was literally because they couldn't handle the sustained pressure from their own fan bases. So, you know, I have I have an opinion on what should happen next. But I'm interested uh, to hear what you think, obviously, because we're talking about a club that you obviously care about and a club that you support. So, yeah, so what what should happen to Arsenal and the rest? This is a really tough one, I think, because obviously I think Graham Cena has made a fair point where he said that whatever you punish the club with, you're punishing the players, you're punishing the staff, because if they obviously just relegated the teams then there would inevitably be job losses at, at the club, and I think that's what makes it difficult. But then you look at the way the FA have treated other clubs that have gone into administration and given them however many points deductions and you know I use Luton as an example or Leeds had that deduction as well and I know you're not a massive fan of Leeds Chris but I think we can both agree that that's quite a harsh harsh punishment and it's not the players fault it's not the staff's fault it's the owner's fault off the pitch so what makes this any different and it is really hard for for me as a fan to say because I never thought we'd be in this position but how do you stop it if there's no punishment? Because really, realistically, what they've done is they have breached the rules of of the Premier League. Like I think it was Rule uh, Nine or something that was you couldn't sign up to a European a different competition without prior approval from the Premier League and the FA or whatever. And they have breached that rule. And that, to me, if I was if I break the law, I'm expecting well, obviously you go to court every day in court and whatever else. But you know, I just. I don't know where they go from here because I don't think they should make exceptions to them just because they are the big six, supposedly. I mean, I think they do bring a lot of money into the league with the TV rights and the players they have. People come to watch and they'll pay their money to go and see them. But for me, points deduction, minimum, massive fines, minimum. I mean, transfer embargo, I mean, don't really matter to us because we don't sign anyone anyway, but something's got to happen because it's just how it's been allowed to get to this point, I don't know. Um, would I ever say relegate them from the league? Probably not. I mean, like I say, they do bring a lot of money into it. Would they get the same appeal if they weren't it? I mean, the championship might be a bit more popular if they, if they get relegated to there, but it's tough. And I don't think there should be an exception. And I think that the clubs should be punished if they're banned. I mean, ban them from European competition as well. They demean the value of the Champions League. I mean, that I mean makes the Europa League absolutely pointless as well. Um, I'm not a massive fan of the Europa League, and obviously UEFA are coming back with uh, the Europa Conf- Europa Conference League. Is that what it is? I think it is. They come up with mad things, and Burnley will probably be playing in Europe next year, but. I don't know. I don't know what they do from here. Relegate him. Just relegate him. Easier. <laughs> I, I did. I just wanted to pick up because I know you mentioned the Graham Sooners thing, and I when I heard him say that, um, was it was it Super Sunday or Monday Night Football, whatever it was, I sat there thinking, what an utter crock of shit to, to sort of to say that, and I thought. I think that is the way he what he said, and I understand the sentiment behind it. Yet yeah, it's not nice to punish the fans or the other people that were in the club who, and the players who took no part in this decision making. I understand that entirely. But what that showed me was not any sort of care for the the injustice. I've not heard a peep out of Graham Souness or anyone else when other clubs have been deducted points. What that showed me is how deep this sense of entitlement among those big six clubs goes. Because even critics of this situation, like Graham Sooners, who obviously has links with Liverpool, thinks that they should be treated differently from all the other clubs because they're Liverpool. <laughs> so I've, I've, there's a list here, and you mentioned a couple of them. We've got Wrexham, Leeds United, Boston United, Portsmouth, Cambridge United, Rotherham United, Luton Town, Bournemouth, Dagenham and Redbridge, Southampton, Stockport County, Crystal Palace, Plymouth Argyle, Port Vale, Coventry City, Bolton Wanderers, Wigan Athletic, Birmingham City, Sheffield Wednesday. All, all, all have supporters, but those supporters are less important than Liverpool supporters, according to Graham Souness. Why? And <laughs> objectively, I think they should be, you know, we t- well, you mentioned earlier, we take 10 points automatically off the side for going into administration, which again, is nothing to do with the, the players or the fans of that club. What do you do to a side 
that tries to send 86 clubs into administration, which is what these six try to do. And the fact yeah. that we're talking about this as if it's it would be really harsh to give them a points deduction, bullshit. They should have the toughest points deduction that we've seen in English football based on that. And I say that with annoyance more at the fact that <laughs> what that would probably do is catapult Leicester to the top of the league. And I, I, that annoys me, actually, because I don't want Leicester to benefit from a hollow achievement that we've not really earned from the malpractice of other clubs. But they do need to be punished. And that is an effective way to do it. And it's the it's the consistent way and the fair way to do it. Um, I think also that Chelsea, Real Madrid and Manchester City should have been immediately kicked out of the Champions League this season. I think uh, and it wouldn't have been fair for PSG's players and fans, but they should have either, they probably should have awarded the Champions League to them. I can't, <laughs> how can you let them compete in this tournament they've been plotting to destroy? I mean, it's absolute madness. And I, yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I think that they need to face massive punishments. And what concerns me is the lack of appetite from a lot of people, not just people who support the big six teams, not people who are linked with the big six teams, all, um, all across the footballing sort of fan base and spectrum, the lack of appetite for these sort of punishments. And I also think ultimately what will be the lack of appetite uh, among the footballing bodies to, to sort of enforce them. Which is what worries me. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> for me, I, I'm I'm with you completely, 100% on the punishment. But I would have personally, I would have expelled them for the Champions League and got rid of them straight away. Whether or not that meant reinstating the other teams and letting them compete with with PSG um, for the Champions League, I don't know whether that you know they've obviously not considered that because they've let the ties go ahead tonight, which I find a bit well, distasteful to say the least. But for me, I wouldn't have taken the points off from this season. I would have docked them heavily next season because you take 20 points off Man City, they're still, what, two points behind the top? I would have just said, like, if they win the league, they don't get the prize money. They withhold that. Um, and then they, they're given a, a points deduction next season and then see how they get on from there. I mean, they've got a good enough squad, obviously, and they're probably not going to go down even if they do get a 20-point deduction or whatever they deemed fit but surely they can't let them get away with it surely there's going to be some sort of even just like you say it's an automatic 10 point deduction for going into administration and the way that they've just literally not considered anyone but their own pockets is just well beyond belief really isn't it I mean you, you've <laughs> I'm almost lost lost for words to be honest because I don't know what punishment is big enough to A, stop it from happening again and and B, make them realise what they did was wrong and it's got to hit the owners and I, don't, I think the only way you hit the owners is by hurting the, the players and the fans and if that's what's going to happen or what has happened to, to clubs that have gone into administration and things like that in the past, then, then so be it. And, you know, maybe that would give them if they do start doing that, that might give the owners a bit of a wake-up call and, you know, hopefully makes them, them sell up. Um, I think transfer embargoes, you know, bans from Europe, points deductions should be the bare minimum. I think they're, they're very lucky. That I, I'm actually baffled how UEFA, considering how they actually came out and spoke against it, let me just be straight here. I am not a fan of UEFA. I am not a fan of FIFA. I think for them to take the moral high ground on it was completely wrong. They are rotten to the core both of those organisations they've let they let Seth Blatter sit at the top of the FIFA tree for however many years and he was so obviously corrupt and bent I sound like Ted Hastings now banned carpers um, you know <laughs> they've got no right to take a moral high ground on it and I know there was a big blame to say that UEFA's reforms and the, ch the, the competition is um, is partly the reason why they tried to break away but how can you dictate who you're going to play in Europe? If you play teams in Europe because they've earned the right to be there, just because you're playing someone you can consider to be Bulgarian farmers, doesn't they've earned that right to be there. And to make another competition which is literally A, exclusive, and B, impossible to get into unless you meet certain criteria, I, I, I honestly 
Well, that's the thing, though. What, what, there isn't criteria, is it? It's literally just subjective. It's not, oh, you need to have X amount of your trophies, clearly, because Spurs were invited. You don't need to have, you know, X amount of fans or X amount of, you know, reserves in the bank. It, it was just subjective. It's just subjective crap. It was. It's based on nothing other than we've decided. And <laughs> yeah, I say you mentioned UEFA. I mean, I'm sure in a minute we'll come on to the the, the Champions League reforms that have crept through, um, pretty much unchecked really by the wider footballing community, given what's been going on with the Super League. Um, but you know, further to what we were saying about the, the punishments is. You know, like we're saying, I know I'm sort of, you know, going on about it a bit, but, you know, we've taken 10 points automatically off teams going to administration. These have been actions by these six clubs, which are unbelievably hostile towards the rest of the footballing um, footballing community, if you like. It's not um, someone fiddling around with expenses or cocking up finances in a club. Um, you know, this is far more sinister because it was an act of aggression and it's not the first one. You know, we're, I, th- I, th- I can't remember exactly when it was. This whole uh, pandemic situation sort of makes years and months blow into one. But, you know, this is the second attempt in recent times after Operation Big Picture, where these six clubs tried to make a power grab in the Premier League and they went unpunished. Admittedly, that was far less of, of a crime than what they've tried to do this time much less of a crime. But, you know, this intent for them to sort of, like I said before, ring fence power and and money in the game has been shown time and time again. So when are these footballing bodies, and again, I don't share the confidence because what, like you were saying, Aaron, you know, UEFA are a corrupt organisation as far as I can tell. You know, where is the appetite to punish them? And this is why I don't think it's going to happen because UEFA are, are corrupt and they are, they, they, look, let's be clear, UEFA weren't, they weren't opposing this based on the uh, sort of a moral standpoint. They were opposing it because what they hadn't thought of it first. Let's be honest, they hadn't thought of it first and it didn't have their brand attached to it. So that's what they were upset about. They, you know, there's no moral thing. They don't have a moral opposition to it, as we'll discuss in a minute when we talk about the new Champions League um, plans. But, you know, this is, this is my concern is the corruption and, you know, sort of, seediness in football at the top level these big clubs which are and you know these these um intercontinental footballing uh organizations you know they're corrupt to the core they're all they're all in on it in some way or another and i'm not saying you know this has been a giant conspiracy but what i mean to say is is they're all involved in dodgy dealings at some level all of these organizations and that's why the chances of there being true accountability and true justice towards these clubs is negligible. Well, yeah, I think I need to say one thing on FIFA, and that's Qatar World Cup. Um, You know, look no further than that sort of corruption and the money that I think, I mean, I don't want to, they obviously haven't proven it yet, but those, I think there's, it goes much deeper. And like you say, they were annoyed because they hadn't thought of it first. And, I know there's plans that FIFA want to expand their um, their Club World Cup, um, which would effectively be something similar to, you know, this Super League. But I think just from my perspective as a fan, I think I just keep I keep coming back to Florentino Perez because I cannot believe how out of touch he actually is and still is a man involved in football, running probably what is the biggest club in the world. And for him to turn around and say um, fans want to see, you know, Liverpool playing Real Madrid four times a season. That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. I have not heard one person that supported that. I would not go to Arsenal. I mean, look at those nights back in, I think we look back at where Arsenal beat Barcelona 2-1 is one that stands out for me. We don't ever play Barcelona. Well, not anymore because we're not in the Champions League. But, you know, you get those special nights and it just takes away everything that it's about. Well, I mean, if I want to watch Arsenal play Barcelona, I'll buy tickets to see a pre-season game for the, whatever it is, International Champions Cup. I don't want to watch it in mid-season. I'd much rather see us on a Super Sunday go somewhere like, I don't know, West Ham or something like that. And, you know, us be terrible and 
not get battered 5 nil, and we managed to come away with a 3 all draw, which in the context of things seems like a good result at the moment. But they're just... It's, it's shocking. It really is shocking, and they're obviously something that's going to have to be done about it. Um, but I think we've, we've mentioned UEFA quite a few times, so let's just come on to their reform programme, which has uh, been sneakily, well, sneakily snuck in um, <laughs> under the radar. I mean, it came out the day after they sort of the Super League was collapsing uh, in on itself, which was a very pleasant sight. So I think that it hasn't really perhaps been discussed as much as it should be. But this new, um, well, should we call it a new competition? I don't really think it's that much different from the Super League, to be honest. I mean, it just sounds like they're expanding it and whatever else. I know people aren't that happy with it. I saw uh, Ilko Gundogan was tweeting, asking why they were making them play more games. I actually don't mind the Champions League as it is. I think the 32 teams works. I think you've got, what, four groups, sorry, eight groups of four, um, last 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the final. And I quite like the two-legged um, aspect of it as well. I don't think, and for me, I'm a traditionalist in terms of football. I don't think that much needs to change. But anyway, look, the, the changes that are going to be coming in um, for the 24-25 um, season, so there'll be a single league made up of 36 competing clubs. Um, so that gives four more sides the opportunity to compete against the best clubs in Europe. Um, so under the new format, teams will play four matches more than is current, they currently play. Um, they'll no longer play three opponents twice home and away, but will instead face fixtures against ten different teams. Half of them will be at home and half of them will be away. So apparently this gives the clubs opportunities to test themselves against a wider range of opponents and also raises the prospect of fans seeing the top teams go head-to-head more often earlier in the competition. Sound like anything you, uh, you've heard of recently, Chris? The new format should mean that there is more to play for right up until the final night of league action. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, this is basically the back to the point I was trying to make earlier is that, that, that the main source of UEFA's opposition to, to the Super League was the fact that it, it wasn't their, their brand. It wasn't them who came up with it. They've obviously snuck in a very similar proposal here in this Swiss-style system, which is designed uh, to give the big clubs a leg up to get them to the latter stages for more money uh, because you know there's they think seeing these teams play each other in the later stages and seeing them play more in the early stages as well means more money for them um, so it's win-win for them they'll get more of these big games but it won't come at the detriment of them not being able to qualify for the later stages and therefore make more money so um, it's very similar to be honest um, yeah, it's total bullshit. I mean, the, the current system, it's not perfect. It, it works well, though. Um, I think the whole coefficient system in general is is slightly uh, ridiculous, but, you know, it's something we sort of... Ex- I mean, that's sort of the current guise of uh, keeping the established clubs entrenched in their uh, positions. And that, 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 that goes far enough. I mean, they don't need any more of a leg than they already have. But that's obviously what the system's designed to do. And, it, you know, it sort of goes back to the earlier point about how corrupt UEFA are. I just wanted to mention, I know we sort of moved on and we are going to keep talking about this new um, this new format um, and UEFA's plans to change European competition, but you know, we talked, you mentioned the Qatar World Cup and the fact that, you know, they <laughs> gave a World Cup to Qatar where 6,000 workers have died and gay people can't attend because it's illegal to be gay in that country. And that's the sort of level of corruption we're dealing with here, the top level of, of of football at the moment um, and again it's not exclusive to these big clubs as we've seen it is it is in these organizations as well these these governing bodies uh, which shows you the scale of challenge people who like us disagree with this, this sort of um, persistent uh, attempt at, at siphoning off power to, to, the, to the bigger clubs uh, what we have to contend with because you know it is it, rotten almost to the core um, yeah, I mean, these new proposals are a joke. I mean, they are effectively a Super League beta in a, in a different sort of branding. Um, and again, there's no real reason to it. The Champions League isn't broken. It is literally just another way to make money. And I, I, I don't know if you can see any other positive to it, but that's all it strikes me as. Yeah, I mean, I was literally just, I'm just reading this off the uh, the Champions, UEFA, sorry, UEFA League website. And 
that's literally the only change that they've made. So from round 16 onwards, the competition is literally exactly the same um, format. It's still knockout rounds leading to a final stage at a neutral venue. The, I mean, their, their justification of this is that they say it's more opportunities to see Europe's top teams play each other earlier in the competition. But my understanding of the Champions my understanding of the Champions League is that the two best teams play each other in the final after having beaten the other best teams across Europe to get there. Not they play each other at the group stage and whatever else. I mean, it just makes no sense to me at all. Well, that's the idiocy as well. They, they, they sort of frame this as if it's sort of some great service to entertainment uh, and to the to the viewing pleasure of football they're giving it. So, you know, I you know I thought about this. The big six clubs. In this country, scored three goals between them this weekend. <laughs> so, what's this great entertainment we're being promised from having these sides play each other more often? More often than not, these games are drab and boring because neither side wants to lose to the other. So, it's so cautious and closed. It's almost never an exciting game. The only time they are exciting is, you know. In the latest, maybe in some of the latter stages of the Champions League games, if, we, if they're playing each other in some sort of league system, and I know we're going back to the Super League now, but you know, it sort of uh, uh, is relevant as well to the new Champions League proposals. It is going to take that, like you were mentioning before about Arsenal's games against Barcelona, it takes away the occasion. And I think having these teams play each other more often in these new league formats is going to be detrimental to the quality and the entertainment. Well, I also think as well that there was a good point raised on um, TalkSport the other day, um, don't often say that, um, and someone said, they were saying it was a good idea to have um, this reform of, uh, of the Champions League and to have the opportunity to play more teams across Europe, but what about the fans? I mean, there's a lot of fans who spend every penny they have to go to games and spend it on tickets and, and flights to, to go and see these, these, well, these clubs. The elite clubs, allegedly. Um, and how is this going to affect them? You know, there will be people who will commit to spending every every penny they have and going right across Europe. And I wouldn't mind spending ridiculous money if it meant I could go and see the Champions League final that Arsenal were in, playing against the best, I don't know, whatever side it is, Real Madrid or whatever. You don't mind doing that. But when you're literally playing Real Madrid in a game which you've both already qualified from the group, you're just playing them again for the sake of playing them because we want teams to meet each other earlier in the competition. What's the point? What is the point? And I just want to come back again to what UEFA's justification of this and how it's allegedly going to um, benefit the wider European game. Ready for this, Chris? So the changes are designed to secure the positive future of European football at every level and meet the evolving needs of all its stakeholders. I this sounds like to me lining the pockets of UEFA and inherently FIFA. What, wasn't this exactly the same thing they said about the Super League? Well, it sounds to me like it's been written by a very similar team of people. Uh, yeah. UEFA has also reaffirmed its strong financial commitment to the whole of European football and will initiate steps to ensure that greater financial solidarity will be delivered to a wider spectrum of clubs who do not participate in UEFA club competitions. Do I believe that? Absolutely not. Well, I'm sure look, fans of Macclesfield Town and Bury will be salivating oh. the prospect of, oh, wait, no, they won't because they've already lost their football clubs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly my point. And just coming back to another disaster, well, people might not see it as a disaster, but UEFA's latest restructure before this was, of course, the uh, Euros, which a, more clubs qualifying through. I mean, Portugal went on to win the competition I don't think they won a great game in the group stage, did they? I think they drew all three. I remember them being poor in the early stages of the competition. I can't remember their exact results, but yeah. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure they didn't win a game in the groups because they drew three all with Spain, and then they drew. Yeah, actually, yeah. They might have drawn all three of their group games, didn't they? Yeah, and then to go on and win it. I mean, people might say, "Oh, that's a great story," and whatever else. But I mean, to me. If it's the same people involved with the redesign of the the competition, you've got to be asking questions here because there's just something that's not quite not quite right. And to me, it this does seem like it's about money. And obviously, the players have spoken out against it already. And I think that's really where where they need to be looking. They need to ask the players. They need to ask the fans. What do you want? Not 
oh, we think this is a great idea, so we're just going to do it. When do football fans ever get a say in anything? I mean, we've said it about the Super League. They weren't consulted. The fans weren't consulted about this. I mean, this ridiculous idea. I think it's stupid. And I just, I will come on to the, um, com- I know we were discussing it briefly earlier, but the uh, Europa Conference League, which is another farce. And to try and, I know it's they're saying it's to try and give more clubs an opportunity to play in Europe, but just earn it. Earn it. I mean, what is what is going on? Why are we offering positions further down? And I know they're going to say, oh, it's going to boost the revenue, but it's just ridiculous. The schedules are bad enough as they are already. I think Liverpool found that out this year. They had a, they had a squad that has been they've been dependent on for the last couple of years. They've had quite a lot of games close together. This is only going to add to that. And you've already seen how how injuries have affected their their season. And I don't want to demean what Manchester City have done, because obviously Pep rotates rotates, um, his team actually every game and manages it really well. But is adding more games to the schedule really a good idea? Are they really thinking about it? They've already got the the Winter World Cup in Qatar, as we've mentioned. And by the way, I know you mentioned all those serious issues in in Qatar, but perhaps a more um, pressing one for an actual football um, point of view is that Qatar have never qualified for a World Cup. How do how do they get off and and get that? But I think the other issues as well are pretty serious that they've sort of just completely overlooked and glossed over. But they've completely wrecked the football calendar by having to have a Winter World Cup, which is kind of a backlog. Affect the season dates. They just don't think of people. They don't care. That, that, that's it, isn't it? None of these decisions they make are, are made with the fans or the players or managers or coaches in mind. Like you say, we've heard a lot this season from managers in particular, particularly Jurgen Klopp, who is obviously the only manager to ever experience a squad with injuries. Um, you know, that it's been too congested and they can't keep pace with the, the calendar, yet we're adding more Champions League games, more European competitions, trying to um, shoehorn in a World Cup in the middle of winter. <laughs> and why? Money. It's... This is the problem, I think, in, in, in football, is that there is not enough, like we were saying, there's not enough direct fa- uh, uh, action revolving around fan power. I know Germany have a much better system where there's much greater fan involvement. I think that's sort of the way it'd be best to go. We need to have more cooperative models in football where fans do have a greater say in how, in how football clubs and uh, footballing bodies are run um, because that, that's the only way you stop this. And it's not going to be obviously an easy thing to do because these people have power and money and uh, they're obviously not going to take kindly to it. It's going to have to come through a series of other instruments outside of football like politics um, to sort of deal with these things. Because, you know, you, know, you look at the, the owners of these clubs and the people at the top of these organisations, they're not going to willingly give up their positions of power. And they're making, they stand so much to lose from losing those positions. Um, but yeah, it's, all of it's just so disheartening. I think, this whole thing, uh, regarding the Super League, the only thing it's sort of given me, um, I'd say, maybe not optimism, but, you know, there's one sort of semblance of hope I can sort of see is that fan power can make a difference in, in certain scenarios. It's, it's a shame that we've not had this out outcry regarding the widespread racism and, and other forms of discrimination in football. We've not had this outcry against Qatar. Uh hosting the World Cup um, but it does show at least I think that you know if football fans are organised and passionate uh, and they have the media on their side and let's be clear that that was massively helpful and I'm not, I'm not sure like we were alluding to earlier that it was because of uh, any great um, moral grandstanding from these uh, organisations um, but you know having them on side is, is, is exceptionally helpful and I think you know, we need to we need to see more of that cooperation. I think going forward. Well, next thing well, I, think yeah, is, yeah. I think it's pretty clear where UEFA think it's going um, in terms of their reform structure, and that's I know it seems like quite a long way off in what two three years, um, but that will come around quickly, and, and things will change very quickly. And I know that FIFA are obviously talking about expanding. Um, the World Cup and making it even bigger so players are literally going to have no off-season at all um, whether or not that's going to affect the domestic football calendar I don't know 
um, whether or not we'll see a return of the Super League or what was, I mean, my favourite thing, I think, to come out of all of it was probably the new Twitter account, which says which what lasted longer than the Super League. And there's been quite a few um, good ones on there. Have a look if you um, haven't seen it already. But Chris, what what is the future of, well, perhaps football and perhaps for this episode, those six clubs, especially in the Premier League, what, what happens next? What do you think? Well, personally, I think it's a bit of a, we're at a crossroads now where, the people at the top of this game, like I said, I don't have any confidence in making the correct decision, but the people at the top of this game have to now make a choice, whether they make an example of... Well, it's not even making an example. I don't know why I'm saying it like that, because they get off with so much, like we were saying earlier. The fact that there's even a debate around whether they should have a point of seduction shows the sort of, um, sort of privileges they have as, as, as entities in the, footballing, in the footballing world. But, you know, these organisations, FIFA, the FA, UEFA... Um, need to take action against these clubs unless they want us to head down a route that is um, always pursuing financial gain ahead of the needs and desires of fans and players and coaches. Um, and, you know, we do that by starting to wrestle back power. And that means by showing that these clubs, they can't just get away with anything, um, by showing the people at the top of these clubs that they can't, do whatever they want at the top of these clubs without accountability. So that does include, if possible, trying to forcibly remove some of the worst defenders from their positions and democratising football more. And like I was saying before, these cooperative models, and it's difficult for me as a Leicester fan because, you know, our club is so exceptionally run, but we are an exception to the rule. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily an issue for my club at all, but there are plenty of other clubs who haven't been as lucky who don't have um, owners and uh, people at the top who are uh, benevolent. And I think we need to sort of address that with a more cooperative system. But, I mean, the question is, where do you think we go? Because these changes are going to affect your club far more than mine. So, Yeah, I just, um, just on Leicester, and I think I said this the other day, but I said it jokingly, obviously, but... You know, I said, is it too late for me to, to to support Leicester or whatever? But it wasn't a joke. I put your application in for a no, season. It was. I, had to, I had to buy the shirt after they won the league. After I lost the bet as well, so I've still got that. Still just about. Aaron is a Leicester fan. But no, I just I think we need to. I wanted to just give a shout out to your your club, Chris, because I think they are exceptionally run, and I think I don't want to call you lucky because I think that's the way that every football club should be run. Um, but you know, you had. You had a great, you've got great owners now. Um, you're obviously lucky you've still got Top, um, who's carried on his father's legacy at your club and does genuinely seem like a good, decent human being, um, understands the game. And I think that's that's important. And they're always at games. They're always there. They're always visual, uh, you know, visible at, at, at the King Power. And around when you're travelling you know, to away games, they're always there. Whereas... I can't remember the last time Stan Kroenke came to an Arsenal game when it wasn't an FA Cup final or or something like that. And do you know what really summed it up for me? It was that he was happy to let... he. I think he's in... What is it? He owns the Los Angeles Rams, the NFL team. And he was happy to sign a contract to let them go and play at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to go and play there and give the money to, to Spurs for that. I mean, that really says it all about him, to be honest. And there's obviously been breaking news this evening when we're filming this that he isn't interested in selling the club. Um, there's talk of £1.8 billion being the, the offer that's going to go on the table for Arsenal. Take the money, Stan. Do the honourable thing and, and just, just leave the club where you've been placed to account because things are only going to get worse. This is a turning point. And I genuinely believe this is a turning point, not only for Arsenal, but for football, I think. Not all the owners are going to face backlash. I think the Man- Manchester City's owners are well liked at the club for obvious reasons. Um, I don't think Abramovich is going to face the backlash. I think he's pretty well liked at Chelsea. FSG uh, at Liverpool, I think they'll be hounded out. I think eventually they'll have to set up. The Glazers have, have taken stick from the moment they go- they came to the club. Whether or not that it, this this new wave is going to be enough to force them out. I'm not sure. I don't know. I would hope it that they would do the honourable thing and sell up. 
I think they were saying they were, they would consider an offer for the club. I might have read that wrong earlier in the paper, but that's that's what I, my understanding of it is. Um, I don't know, Chris. To be honest with you, I just think that I don't want to say that this is going to change football forever, but I definitely think it's going to change the image of the, those clubs involved, um, and definitely the relationship between the 20 Premier League clubs, whoever they may be at the time. Um, and I already know that some chief executives have come out and said that they can't work with with those from the big clubs. And I think luckily, <laughs> luckily Edward Wood's on his way out um, from Man United. I think Daniel Levy's time is, <laughs> he's pretty secure at Spurs, but I think his managerial choices are, are going to push him in close. We obviously lost... Ivan Gazidis to AC Milan and good riddance he can keep him um, but I don't think the new guys come in I can't say his name or pronounce it um, but yeah I don't know I, I just hope it's a catalyst for change really and that's that all that I think all genuine football fans can hope for is that this is the end of well I mean hopefully the FAD is something about the ownership I think you know when clubs come to buy it and they're not just sort of They've been a bit willy-nilly with other clubs that have then ended up suffering for it and haven't had the financial backing to do it. And, you know, we've seen with the Newcastle sale that that was sort of pulled. I'm not 100% sure what the, the the stuff around that was. But, yeah, I hope this is a new dawn for football, in short, on what is quite a dark time. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's the... Um... The best we can hope for, really, is that this is a catalyst for change. Um, I, I, I agree with you totally. I, I don't know how some of these owners are going to be able to front up their supporters uh, ever again. I don't know how the people who have been representing these clubs for the last three years uh, in, in in the Premier League um, are, are going to be able to show their faces again, as they've been, you know, privy to or presume, presumably privy to conversations talking about the complete demolition of football as we know it behind the backs of the other 14 clubs so you know heads need to roll I know that (laughs) and hopefully that's um, that's where we go Um, and for yours I I mean say like uh, I know it's obviously Leicester's the way we're run is is the way we want all football clubs to be run but unfortunately it's more often than not not the case um but yeah, I hope for, and like I said, I don't hold any particular resentment towards any of these clubs' fan bases. Like I said, the vast majority of which were as against these plans as football fans from all the other clubs. Um, and I hope for their sake and for your sake in particular, uh, the corrupt arseholes at the top of these clubs get their comeuppance and, you know, fingers crossed. We're not here in a few months' time talking about the latest plot to destroy football. But I don't have any confidence that we won't be. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't give you a great confidence when you got your wife and, and FIFA heading up the head, the the overall powers of football, really, doesn't it? Um, that actually brings us to the end um, of this one. So we've made it to the mid-season, Chris, which is great. Um, further than Tottenham's title challenge went, anyway. Um, well, yeah, we we should end on a cliffhanger, really. Yeah, we should. In the mid-season finale, I can't... Well, I'll tell you what, we, will, we can end on a cliffhanger because we will be back um, for the next episode and it's Chris's one he's been looking forward to for oh, a while. We'll be back with the local election results. Um, so we will be back slightly later than than planned. It won't be... Um, we won't be we'll be recording after that obviously comes out. That's next Thursday. Um, I think 6th May. Yeah, 6th May. Make sure you go out to vote. Most of us will have elections to take part in yeah exactly so make sure you do go out and vote um but again we'll, we'll be back discussing that and i'm hoping we'll be able to have some sort of uh <laughs> cnn wall um i'm not quite sure how we'll do that yet no chris has been looking forward to that one it's all i want all i want for christmas is the cnn the cnn wall <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but yeah, in in terms of this episode, do give do let us know what you think about the um, European Super League and and the way that the six clubs have um, gone about this. I mean, I'm pretty sure what we're going to hear. But if you are a fan of the Super League and would have liked to have seen uh, Tottenham Hotspur play Real Madrid four times a season, um, why? For the, uh, what's wrong with you? 
Yeah, for the we ask you. No, the Jay- we, are- <laughs> we do want to hear your opinions either way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been um, it's been good talking about it, Chris, and I think that it's we're obviously agreeing again um, on something that's a pretty serious issue. And I can only say I wish we were run like Leicester, and I wish Arsenal were run as well as this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I I wish they were run better than that, to be fair, because it just has taken a while. <laughs> The people who are listening don't know behind the scenes the amount of stress I go through trying to pin you down to a date. <laughs> well, no, thanks for tuning in again. And we'll be back, as I say, with the elections uh, results. So take care, stay safe, and don't back the European Super League. Take care. <laughs>